0: On the show today, some light demo, the backstabber, and g-g-g-ghosts in 3, 2, 1... Hey, Alex, have you turned into a pumpkin yet? Um, not until midnight. I thought you were usually awake around midnight, though. Yeah, turning into a pumpkin. Oh, perfect. I always figured that pumpkins live a more sedentary life. It doesn't matter. Anyway, the point is, uh, hi, everybody. Welcome to yet another episode of Total Pebble Knockdown. I am Nathan. And I am Alex. And Nathan, did you know that pumpkins only travel coach? I thought that they turned into a coach. Yeah,
1: that's how they travel.
0: Oh, they travel using themselves. Okay. Well, that's good. I'm going to be very, very concerned if I go to find the Great Pumpkin King again (laughs) this year. (laughs) They can move faster than I thought. I don't know if you are aware of this, but uh, Steam has been having a little bit of a next fest where they're uh, debuting all of these demos for different upcoming games. I don't know if yeah. you've been
1: able to play any of them or not, but uh I haven't really looked i've I've been busy yesterday we got three pallets of wood pellets delivered, and oh boy, and I was doing some other uh, handy around the house things in the morning. Perfect. I love that.
0: To be fair, I just realized this like a day or two ago, and then downloaded a bunch of demos, and then tried to play as many as I could. I still have a few that I want to check out. For the record, uh, there's uh, one called Forever Skies, one called uh, Earth from uh, another... Something. Earth from
1: another Earth, maybe.
0: Maybe it is. From another sun. Earth from another sun. And Diluvian Winds, which I will be playing uh, before we record next time. But uh, I did manage to put myself through the demos of five games, and I figured that I would talk to you about those. They were fairly prominently featured. Uh, Number five. Do I have to get that Chelsea video no, out sooner? Please, just please don't. We're gonna, yeah. it's a lost episode. <laughs> okay. The one that I think everyone was kind of interested in, I know that we've both been thinking about it, was Bandit Simulator. So it was the first one that I tried playing. Bandit Simulator, for people that don't know, is basically a game that's set, like, in the medieval era where you play the bandit in town uh, going around to steal people's shit. It's basically what it is. Um, it's Skyrim, but you're just a thief. Basically, it's the Thief series, but with more Skyrim in it. Or at least that's Fair kind enough. of what they what uh, promoted as. So I played the demo, and uh, I'm, ki- I'm kind of on the fence, to be honest with you about it. On the one hand, I like that they actually did have towns, and people that are in the towns, and you can like go into different houses unlock the doors, go in and, and steal stuff, and that you do get some tools and abilities as, as time goes on. The gameplay and the look of it and everything, though, felt very rough. Yeah. <sighs> from what I saw of
1: it, it looked like, in theory, it would be interesting,
0: mm. but
1: interesting is where I would be like, all right, cool, polish it up, maybe.
0: There's going to have to be a lot of it, honestly. Um, one of the things that was really annoying is, like, the fighting mechanics. So, like, the, the idea that they give you at the very beginning is that you can, like, block attacks and that you can hit and everything like that. Uh, and that you can do that on guards. Guards go down way faster than I kind of thought they would, considering you're just some dude. <laughs> then I got out into the city and I would be interacting with people and all of a sudden, like, the buttons that I would normally use for, like, my fists are just not there And like, now I can't hit with my buttons. And then, like, I'd be going around town after I had a fist fight, and my fist would just be up like this. And I couldn't figure out how to put my fist away. And after I did some stuff, my fists go away. And when they start attacking me, I'm like, okay, now how do I attack? And I try hitting the attack buttons, and it wasn't working anymore. So, you know, there's some issues here about how the stealth mechanics work, and... Um, I would have liked to see more variety, like, they'll have the little closed-eye or open-eye, and it's basically just to the two states. You go, like, directly from closed-eye to straight-ass open. Uh, there's, no, <laughs> there's no subtlety, and I'm sorry, if we're doing, like, a stealthy, thiefy thing, I need a little bit more nuance than that. I'm, I've been spoiled on games like Thief and Splinter Cell all these years, where there's, like, light meters and sound meters <laughs> of, the, of what I can do in the game. Yeah, there's a few mini-games that are scattered throughout it, uh, but yeah, the, the mechanics and the interface looks really rough. Uh, I also played the little scenario, they have like challenge scenarios that are part of it as well, uh, about like, hey, steal all these treasure chests, and hey, could you take out all the guards or not alert them at all? Tried that for a little bit, wound up with the same basic problem where all of a sudden the guards are hitting me and I don't know how I'm hitting back, they punch me out. But at least it sounds I... like
1: they have some control optimization. Control optimization issues,
0: issues are definitely a thing. I also realized that it, it would help out a little bit if I could get some information on how to equip the different weapons. Because you when don't they don't need get... weapons, you just need fists. Well, you know what? That'd be fine, except your fists are also kinda of like whatever. They do give you like arrows and cudgels and stuff eventually, and like that's great in thief. There is nothing more satisfying than getting the blackjack out and getting behind the guards and going bop, bop them on the head with it. Or doing like the water arrows where you could stuff out flames and stuff. Great stuff. Doesn't look like that's necessarily in this, but you can set up like traps and then wait for the guards to come along and then shoot an arrow at the trigger and have the nets like, take them up into the air. So it's got some neat ideas, uh, but it definitely feels rough. I don't know when it's coming out, but it it needs some time in the oven for me. Maybe twice baked. It needs to be a twice-baked bandit. Again, like, there's a whole segment we're eventually going to have to do about how th- when people put simulator onto the end of a game, it could just... It could mean anything, man. It could be the most realistic or the most absurd thing you've ever played, <laughs> and there's no way to figure out what you're going to get. Um, this, this I think, is trying to take, like, a medieval bent uh, without being... Overtly like wacky, but it also has some fairly unrealistic elements to it that doesn't scream simulator to me. So the next one that I played though was a much more pleasant surprise. I played one called Potionomics. I don't know if it's your kind of game or not, but
1: I'll explain it to you. I'm gonna guess really quick that you have to sell potions, and it has to do with economics.
0: I love the fact that the, in in the taglines, capitalism is one of the tags. <laughs> All right. I didn't even know. <laughs> but, but yeah, So basically, you're playing uh, this girl that goes to a town and sets up a potion shop. And she's new at this. And the, the potion shop is kind of run down. The idea is that you get a few ingredients, can start to uh, level off different numbered ingredient lists to try and hit the right marks for each one in order to create new and powerful potions... And then, this is the one where I'm not sure if it's going to be a you thing or, not. Uh, is that there is a, like, haggling system with cards. So, like, a card-based haggling system where you get to either, you know, press your luck, you know, seal the deal, increase interest for the person that's coming to, uh, uh buy this... Shield yourself from, from comebacks and stuff like that. The idea is basically that you have, like, this little card battle with each person that comes in to buy a potion, oh. and then you, uh, you, you have a little back and forth and determine what the price is going to be from its initial selling point. After you sell the potions for your day, uh, there's also some interaction that you have with a few of the other people around town that you can increase your relationships with, and then if you get good... At getting good with them, they'll give you some other special abilities and cards and stuff, or sell you oh, ingredients.
1: So you lost my interest at card battling.
0: That's where I thought I would lose you. But I I will say I think it is worth trying. It, it only because uh for like an indie game, which is really what it is, I was very, very surprised. Like I just talked about how Bandit Simulator felt very rough from presentation standpoint. Potionomics does not feel rough at all. It feels very well polished. The way that it was presented, um, the graphics are like this uh, kind of cartoonish art style. It's not like a pixel graphic or anything. It looks very much like it, like like a hand drawn art style, sort of like 3D rendered uh, environment sort of thing. Uh, looks the characters are very expressive. They've they've definitely done some work on the look and the feel of the game. And the uh, elements, I think, are simple enough where they didn't overextend themselves. There's no, like, open world that you explore. You just go to specific locations so that they were able to concentrate on those locations being really well-fleshed out and interesting. They streamlined it, basically. So I thought that that one was really nice. I wish-listed it because I want to see it when it comes out. And, hey, great time to be talking about potions. Potions and brews. Little potion... Total Potion Knockdown.
1: Yeah, I guess that works. Yeah. I was trying to say... I was thinking of something like Chugging, but with a K, but... That's not gonna work. (laughs) Total Potion Knockback.
0: So the next one that I played was a little bit longer than I uh, initially expected, and I think that some other people have actually been playing it on on air, but it's one called Dredge. Dredge is a game about fishing. You're gonna love it.
1: I was thinking that, (laughs) but I
0: wasn't sure. Okay. It is not going to be like a fishing mini game or like a fishing simulator like you normally think of. You have like a trawler boat and it's
1: more of a top-down perspective. I feel like I might have seen that on the page. I did look at some of these and try and play any. You get like the boat and you sell the fish.
0: Yes, there's a time where it goes from like night to day and day to night thing about it is is that it kind of brings in a little bit of almost Cthulian sort of Lovecraftian horror elements to it, where when you go out and you're, you know, fishing for things, you might actually find aberrations or mutations of the fish that look almost otherworldly. Some people might actually be looking for those. Some people uh, in the towns are looking for mysterious keys. There are, uh, you know, like altars that you can, you know, (laughs) sacrifice fish to the altars to get special parts and stuff. And when night falls, your sanity starts to, like, literally drop. And things that go bump in the night when you're out in the open ocean might try to attack you and damage your boat. So there's those elements uh, that are going on. Um, You do get to upgrade. You can put in more slots for engines or rods as time goes on. You can upgrade your ship quite a bit. There is a time limit, too, on the state of your fish to go and sell them because they can go from fresh to stale, eventually just to rotten where they're not worth anything at all.
1: Um, Well, that's why you invest in a flash (laughs) freezer.
0: I hope that that's an upgrade at some point. Uh, unfortunately, in the demo, most of the upgrade, like, the whole upgrade trees are locked off. So you can't upgrade anything in, in the game. Yeah. Because I
1: know for, like, real fishing, what they do is they'll flash freeze oh, yeah, them. They're not going to, like, a fresh fish market. They'll flash freeze that shit. Oh, yeah. They, they will. They will. Same thing they do with, like, vegetables.
0: You need that, and I need a reefer trailer so that I can go... <laughs> so that I could think of to market. Luckily, you just go to the ports. When you're in light, you uh, don't have to worry about losing your, your sanity or sinking into the darkness. But, uh, you know, you go further and further out, and you realize that there are different kinds of fish you can catch with different rods and everything like that and you can you can locate those so there's going to be a big upgrade system there are some narrative elements where you go on specific quests to help people find resources materials relics find the fish to ate your father you find the fish that ate your father and they say that there's going to be what five biomes or something like that when the full game comes out so, um, so five different types of water i guess so yes you start. Okay. You start in the cold water and you go to the tropical area or something. I don't. I don't know. Sure. Um, but there is definitely more of like a uh, a, a cosmic horror element that goes into that whole thing, uh, which I th- I think sets it a little bit apart. There are mini games when you catch fish and also when you do dredging for uh, materials. Uh, some some basic ones, nothing too heavy. I basically you know press one button to hit in the right spots when you're trying to catch fish. Or move it between levels when you're trying to avoid, like, the little red marks that show up when you're dredging. And then you get upgrades so you can do all that stuff faster, obviously. Overall, uh, interesting. I'd like to see it when it comes out. It would definitely be one I would consider picking up. I would like to have a little bit better boat controls, uh, especially for gamepad controls, because it was a little bit tricky to figure out how you were turning initially. (laughs) Uh, it's independent from your camera, so I wasn't really sure if we were doing, like, halo controls or if I'm doing Need for Speed controls for the boat. But anyway, minor issues aside, and really, I would have also liked it if your uh, light and dark mechanics of your daytime-nighttime cycles were a little longer. They go by real fast. Uh, I'm sure that they do that so that you get caught out in the middle of the sea before night falls, and then it's more of a thing to come back. But there's so many islands that are out there that you might want to explore. I think it doesn't encourage exploration as much by having those cycles be as low as they are. So, I was good with potionomics, and I was good with dredge. The other two I played, though, I'm not sure. A Hero's Rest, on paper, sounds like a really great idea. You're basically building a town for heroes to go to, stay, Make potions, make quests for them to go out into the world to get resources for you. Make a blacksmith shop and stuff so that they can go and buy stuff. And you're basically running this town. And trying to make it convenient for all of the heroes that are coming through to, to want to be there because there's food that they can buy and there's uh, quests that are at their level and there's equipment that they want and training that they want, everything like that. Seems like a really cool idea. In practice, though... The tutorial is not particularly intuitive, where it basically just, like, comes up with text blocks and says, okay, when you're ready to move on from this thing that I just said, just click on this box. (laughs) And then when you don't do what they want you to do, it just says, no, you can't click off of me yet. You have to figure out what I wanted you to do. You have to solve my training puzzle. (laughs) Um, Oh, jeez. But some of the things that were not really evident right up at the front is, okay, I want to build a floor. Cool. You get the one floor tile and put it down, and then you have to go back in and select a floor tile again and put it down. And it took me a long time to realize, oh, you can hit the shift key and then you can multiply it on the floor. I really wish somebody had made that clearer to me (laughs) so I didn't have to do (laughs) this whole thing uh, over and over again. And the notion of, like, my initial thought was, hey, I'll make the most expensive, like, wine I can. And then they'll want to buy the expensive wine. Only to find out that sometimes heroes will just retire if there are no items they can afford. And so then they just don't come back. (laughs) right then. I ended up with, like, all of a sudden I, like, look up at the top, like, what are these buttons up here? And I look at one button and it's just a list of retired adventurers and the reasons they retired. Well, there were no quests in my level, well, there was no items I could buy, well, it's like, okay, I don't know what to tell you, man, I've, I built you a nice little place where you could rest, and I thought I gave you some items, you're all the same class, because I could only start with, like, one class, you, there's, like, a trainer that trains you, you can build custom-made classes, and then people can train in those classes. Um, so, I, I built uh, the the Stabby Man, or whatever I called it. Uh, you know, it's kind of neat, because you can actually make specific items and name them whatever you want. Name specific classes as you build them. Items, foodstuffs. Uh, you know, you want to make your tropical drink into the specifications that you want, and then call it something cool. Great, they got you covered. But... Trying to manage the different resources, figure out how you get those resources, uh, and then utilize them in the game. Not exactly the easiest to understand process.
1: Yeah, games like that are a little weird because I take like the town management side of the gaming, mm-hmm. along with like the RPG stuff people enjoy. Yeah. But most people who want to play a town simulator or management sim don't necessarily want to be building an RPG. Those right. Those are two com- kind of different feels. The
0: other thing that really threw me a really quick was that they talk about different plots that you can buy right up at the start. Uh, the first one is free, and then, then you can get others afterward. Now, I figured that with this big plot of land that you had, oh, I could probably build a lot of things on this one lot. Only to find out only one building can be on each of these lots. So I started with the notion that oh, I could put an inn here and a blacksmith here on this lot and everything. No, this is just for the inn. This whole block that's just the inn part. You got to get another block for the for for the for the blacksmithing part. But I'm pretty sure I could build nope. We won't we won't even let you put the uh put the vendor there. One vendor per plot. It's like, boy, I would have liked to know that sooner because it felt like I could easily make an inn with like a quarter of this, but sure, uh, screw it. I'll make a giant ass inn. Why not? (laughs) I'll just build that. Um, I went into debt also uh, pretty quickly because taxes and stuff. That's what taxes do. They put you in debt. They certainly do, and they make it very clear. You know what it actually kind of reminded me of? Um, I don't know if you ever played Medieval Dynasty. No, I haven't, but I've seen it. The overarching idea there, besides you being like a a person who gets better skills and everything like that, and goes through seasons and survival mechanics, is the larger mechanic of actually building your own town. And then the king taxes you on whatever buildings you put up, and you try to you try to corral people to come to your your town, and then assign them different jobs so that they can go and mine and stuff like that. I played a fair amount of it, uh, and uh, it, it, but the thing about it is that it felt a lot more fleshed out than what they were trying to do here. So yeah. I, I don't know
1: what space this occupies. It reminds me of the MMO tycoon game I got that I was like, oh, that sounds interesting, but. Again, it did the same type of deal where it just kind of didn't really work Yeah, as well as you'd hope.
0: Yeah, it reminds me, too, of a couple like free-to-play mobile games that I played, like Hero Town or uh, Shop Titans, which kind of uh, say, hey, what if it was like a medieval RPG, but what you do is you run the town. You don't actually do the adventuring part. And it's like... Yeah, neat, neat, cool idea. Like interesting the idea. idea. I don't
1: know about cool.
0: Yeah, right. um, I think Moonlighter did it better. Moonlighter did because you run the store, but you also do the adventuring. Yeah,
1: yeah, where it doesn't take you out of the adventure, but it it you also do the mundane. Exactly. So you have like at night you go out and you do the
0: fighting and you go through the dungeons and you do your Zelda stuff and then in the daytime you you like open shops set your prices on stuff and and everything uh, yeah. i think that great. is a
1: better I think that's a better formula than that. They're different styles of game entirely, but I think it, sure. that does it better.
0: Yeah, uh, Moonlighter was really great until they got to the end game and the story just went way off the rails and I didn't understand what they were doing. <laughs> um, it was it was really great up to like the fifth dungeon and afterward I'm like, okay, what what is going on now? <laughs> but anyway, uh, Heroes Rest though, I'll see what happens, but I'm not like super enthusiastic about it. Whatever. And then the last one, I'm really just going to touch on very quickly, because frankly, I don't think it's playable in its current state. That's a game called Undecember. Anyway, it's a Diablo-ish kind of game. It's a... a, Of course it, it is. Yeah. Action RPG, when you start out, they kind of give you a real brief overview. Honestly, if the demo had stopped after the real brief overview of showing you different archetypes of, like... Here's you with a sword and some cool special abilities you can do with the sword and then the arrow where you do like the volley of arrows up into the sky and you're just you're just whipping through all of these skelly boys just a ton of the undead come out and you're just you're just crushing just whipping through them left and right with a few different special attacks. I was like cool. Okay, I get the idea. I get the magic wand. Fireball starts shooting out from me. That's terrific. Feels very fast. Very fast, very, very fresh. That goes on for about, like, a five-minute tutorial, basically, to give you different archetypes. Then it, like, it, it gets you uh, good and dead, essentially, with a cutscene, and puts you on a boat ten years later, which is where you actually build your After character. After you died? After you, like, fell on the battlefield, you just get, like, bombed oh. out. You don't, like, have any skills now. So you've lost all your abilities <laughs> you've built your character now, and the idea is that you you know you can start gaining levels and, and attacking, which is is fine, except that there's one small issue when they get to that part of the demo. I had no idea how I could attack things.
1: oh, that's important though it is
0: because there were no assigned skills anymore, because you don't remember any of your skills. So then my thought process is, oh, well, they make you equip one of these weapons, so I guess I have a basic attack with a weapon. But that doesn't show up either. And then I was like, okay, well, let me just play around with this, and it's like, oh, for some reason it's on the alternate weapon, which I don't have equipped. So I'll go back to the initial weapon, and then I can do a basic attack. And it's like, okay, no, that's fine. So I you know, killed a couple dudes. They introduce the fusion mechanics where you can actually put like gems that assign you skills so that I can okay. do a fireball.
1: So they're doing the sacred two thing. Yeah,
0: closer to that. Yeah. I get the I get the special gems, the gems give me skills, I can put them into my little gem grid and that uh, the the Grimdon thing. Herein lies the problem, I start putting stuff in there, now I don't even know where my basic attack is, because it's not showing up, because it's tied to the individual uh, types of weapons, now I'm trying to equip all the weapons and I can't get my basic attack to work, and the skills that I just equipped for like fireball and stuff like that, don't show up on my grid. So then I'm like, okay, well, they're not assigned skills. Okay, how do I assign the skills? And I, like, go back into my inventory. There's no way for me to, like, click on them and assign them to my skill grid so that I can use them. <laughs> so so at that point, I'm like, well, I guess I'm done with the demo. <laughs> and it's, the, it's the one I didn't play to the end. Because I, I was like, well, I, I, I give up. I don't know how to do this. I'm going to assume that this is a, um, soft lock of sorts in the game, and I, I just, I can't play it, so I hope they fix that, because <laughs> yeah. the initial five minutes of it are, like, really cool, it's like, oh, it's Diablo, but it's way faster, and they're just giving you mobs and mobs of enemies, and you're whipping through them left and right, and your champions come up, seems really nice, the, you know, it looks, presentation-wise, really solid, but, then it get to the point where it's like, well, they've made the interface almost impossible to utilize, so I can't play the game. <laughs> so yeah,
1: that's a, that's an important aspect of a game.
0: Yeah, um, I did try to play with a uh, controller in my hands because I do like to use uh, do Diablo style
1: games that way. Um, but I, I don't I don't like point click games with a controller.
0: I I try it with the controller and see what happens, and then uh, sometimes I'll bail. Um, But I usually start with the controller just to see how it feels. You can't actually use the controller exclusively, because at some point you have to click on items, and there's no way to do that with the controller support. Anyway, those were the first five games that I played (laughs) during that little expedition. If I had to say, though, Dredge and Potionomics are probably the ones that I'm most enthusiastic about. The other ones, I'll, I don't know. (laughs) We'll see. Out of uh, all the ones that I mentioned, Alex, do any of those pique your interest?
1: Maybe Dredge sounds interesting, but sounds too Stardew Valley for me. Stardew Valley?
0: Well, it's not really Stardewish Valley.
1: No farming, just
0: fishing. If you really wanted a fishing game that was more like Stardew Valley, there's one called Noonglow Bay. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah, so you could always play that one. Dredge is definitely more of like an, an action-y like uh, game. Probably a little closer actually to an old one called like Escape Velocity that I liked a whole okay. lot. Where you like go around a map and you collect resources and gain money and stuff. There's no like farms or anything like that. You get okay. crab traps too. So that's fun. But they, they do. If anyone out there has played any of these games, or if there was something else that happened during Next Fest that you played that you wanted to make mention of, please let us know in the uh, comments down below the video, or uh, you can also leave a message on our Anchor page. A little bit more about some 1D&D material... Uh, we were talking about bars on the last episode. Uh, we There are also Rangers. Uh, but we are going to go out of order because it seems like everybody who's going over this is doing it. Uh, Bard, Ranger, and then Rogue. And we want to be different.
1: <laughs> That's just, just
0: alphabetical order, Nathan. Yes, it is. What is this chaos we are doing? We are... We are chaos, and that's actually why we're going to be talking about the rogue today, because I think that that exemplifies chaos, doesn't it? Rogues eh, usually do. Maybe. Yeah, exactly. Maybe. It feels very roguish to, like, jump in front of the ranger in the conversation.
1: Yes, right until the arrow he's shooting goes into your back. <laughs> and, but then the
0: rogue turns around and just stabs you really fast.
1: Yeah, but they don't get sneak attack then. This is true.
0: I have played rogues for a couple characters. I've never actually played them as a campaign character. They've always been one-shots. So my understanding mm. of the ins and outs of rogues is pretty much that uh, back is a thing. Uh, it is. So there's that. You played one, but it was also a one-shot, I believe.
1: Yeah, I haven't played one since. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: so our understanding of rogues on, in 5e, at least, is pretty limited. Uh, just because we, we haven't really dug into it. But in general, uh, rogues are the ones that kind of do the sneaky through the shadowy kind of stuff. They're the thieves. They're the the criminals. Sometimes, uh, sometimes they sometimes. are. Sometimes they are just the grifters or the con artists or. Or uh, the Robin Hoods. Or the Robin Hoods, exactly. I think Rangers could also be a Robin Hood. We'll get um, into that. Yeah, but
1: you know, that's just because they're good at the most.
0: Anyways, fair enough. But all you really need to know is that Rogues are going to also be in the expertise class, as the one D and D material shows. Um, I think out of the three of these classes, though, the rogues have probably changed the least, and it's mostly about moving some of their skills around. Um, So, for instance, subclass features coming at, like, level 6 instead of 9, expertise at level 7 instead of 6, evasion is 9 instead of 7. They're moving a lot of these basic ideas around. I looked through what some other people were saying to be completely transparent, just because, having not been familiar with Rogue myself, I was wondering what people were citing from, from previous stuff to now. One thing that was mentioned, though, was about sneak attacks, which is a defining feature of Rogues. There's a little bit of a subtlety that was uh, mentioned by one Reddit poster, uh, which is that it's on uh, once on each of your turns, Which, the subtlety there is that you wouldn't be able to use sneak attack damage as a reaction anymore. The thing about it is, though, I never remember ever seeing a case where it was used as a reaction. The argument
1: there that I saw, because it came up as somebody had posted on Twitter, don't remember who, was they could use their sneak attacks as an attack of opportunity. Okay. Because technically, if you're catching them flat-footed or if they're flanked, then yes, but... It's one of those weird things where you probably aren't getting attacks of opportunity that often. Right.
0: It's so situational, I don't really see where it's going to be a huge problem. If you wanted to utilize it in the way of, like, an attack of opportunity, I think it's just that if it's on your turn, uh, then the the assumption is that it's just not utilized as a reaction. But...
1: Yeah, I think the other one was... If you, like, hold your action for an attack, mm-hmm. as an example, and mm. that you might not be able to use it as a held action, mm-hmm. what's the wording for it say now? Well,
0: let me see if I can tell you what we're doing here. So, sneak attack. Here's the actual wording in 1D&D. The, the actual wording in the material. <clears throat> First level. You know how to turn a subtle attack into a deadly one. Once on each of your turns, when you take the attack action, you can deal extra damage to one creature you hit with an attack roll if you're attacking with a finesse weapon or a ranged weapon, and if at least one of the following requirements is met. The two requirements. Either you have advantage on the attack roll, or at least one of your allies within five feet of the target, the ally isn't incapacitated and you don't have disadvantage on the attack roll. To determine the extra damage, roll a number of d6 is equal to half your rogue level, round up, and add the dice together. The extra damages type is the same as the weapons
1: damage type. I think the thing there is where they had changed sneak attack in 5e anyways to be like if you're flanking, if someone's within 5 feet. It's basically flanking, yeah, yeah. You you basically get a sneak attack as long as someone else is in combat. Yes. Yes. With this, whatever. So I don't really see what the big deal is if you can't use it on somebody else's turn. Yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be
0: that big a deal. Like I, I mean, it's still if you would get attack of opportunity anyway, you just wouldn't get sneak damage. I I think on right. attack of opportunity, and I
1: I think if you're playing with a DM or doing something where you're gonna be getting attacks of opportunity that often. Mm. Those creatures may deserve the sneak attack then I guess, but
0: I you know, the thing about it is, is that I could see if you wanted to, like if you had met both conditions. Like if you had if you were both in advantage and you had an ally that was adjacent to the target. That it would make sense as as like an attack of opportunity that you get the sneak damage because you you yeah. you've reached two different criteria to get there. But you know, the yeah. thing about it is sneak attack gets to be kind of insane in terms of the damage output of it, that I'm like, I, I don't think that that's a huge deal for me. I don't, like, rogues, when they when sneak attack comes into play, end up doing so much more damage than most other melee combatants. And if they're an yeah, expert uh, class in- instead of, like, one of the, the military classes, I don't think we need to make them any more powerful or give them even more hit dice
1: obviously i think if you're doing a held action Mm -hmm. um i feel like that your turn is delayed so you would be able to use sneak attack as a held action yeah because you're delaying your turn to meet a certain criteria and if that criteria is met and you go for the attack it's i would say that's your turn as dm so you get that sneak attack you held your action that's it there is
0: One thing, like, a lot of these are very standard. I think that it was just that the rogue worked pretty well in 5e, so they didn't feel the need to do too much. Just tweak where different things occur, different levels. Like, for instance, Uncanny Dodge is still there. Evasion is still there, uh, which are great great abilities um, for those of you who are not aware. Uncanny Dodge is basically, you can use reaction to have uh, an attack's damage against you. Um, Evasion is when you're subjected to an effect that allows you to make a dexterity saving throw. To take only half damage, you can take no damage if you succeed, or half damage if you fail. if you can
1: use uncanny dodge to take half damage from an attack, then why would you be busy sneak attacking?
0: Yeah, I'd use my reaction for an uncanny dodge. I would rather use my reaction to take half damage than to deal damage. Right. For a rogue, especially, because it's, they're not necessarily tanks. They're not built that way. You have uh, one new thing. I think it's 17th level. I don't think that this was previously in the material. Uh, elusive? Or, no, no, no. Elusive, I think, was there. No attack roll has advantage against you while you aren't incapacitated. Subtle strikes. A 13th level ability. This is apparently new. Uh, When you attack, you know how to exploit a target's distraction. You have advantage on any attack roll that targets a creature that is within five feet of at least one of your allies who isn't incapacitated. Okay, so at that point, you have advantage and you are flanking.
1: I mean, you don't need both. You only need to meet one.
0: Exactly. So So. I don't really know how that's beneficial. You'd, You'd still be... If you're already in five feet, you'd still be getting your sneak attack. I mean, I guess the one thing is that you'd have advantage on the roll, so it's easier to hit.
1: Don't you get advantage from flanking? Do you? Apparently
0: apparently not. If they're they're specifically stating that you get advantage when you are there within five feet of another ally, then that suggests... That by nature you do not have advantage when you
1: are just slanging. That's Interesting. The,
0: that's the uh, that's
1: the, worth looking into because I don't. As far as I remember, you got advantage if there's another ally I, within I melee under, distance. I was under I was under an impression that that is the case,
0: especially if the enemy is focused on someone else
1: that is Which, attacking them. Which I personally find a little weird, because it's like, ah yes, we're in multiple melee combat, and I'm getting advantage at all my rolls
0: now. I mean, at the end of the day, rogues are going to be able to hit a lot and hit pretty hard, so they end up becoming a very useful class, but they were already a useful class. Stroke of Luck comes in at uh, level 18 instead of 20, because as I kind of mentioned before... A lot of the level 20 abilities are going to be level 18s instead because you get epic boons at 20 now.
1: Yeah, and I mean, it's still weird to me that the level cap is 20 and there's no epic levels, um, but it's whatever. That, I mean, that Most campaigns nice. don't, don't really go past 20. I
0: did once see a thing like a a supplemental book that was like a third-party one that were levels beyond 30. Or or twenty like up to level yeah. fifty.
1: It's... If you are doing a campaign that's going up to levels beyond twenty, you're fighting literal gods. Yeah, and uh,
0: I have to ask, what kind of spells you're throwing off by the time you get <laughs> there? Because <laughs> quickened ninth level spells, quickened ninth level spells. Because like tenth level spells, if I remember correctly, the reason why no characters are allowed to do it is tenth level spells are basically world ending. Like, like Perfect. let's just do that. The other thing is, apparently, uh, rogues do not get blind sense. They used okay. to have blind sense, but they do not have blind sense anymore. The one subclass that they mention is Thief, which is kind of the basic bitch of the rogues, I guess. I don't know how else to say it. But uh, yeah, so fast hands at third level. You have additional options for bonus actions of your cunning actions. So you can search, sleight of hand, to make a dexterity check, to uh, pick a lock or disarm a trap, or to pick pockets. Third level, you do second story work, uh, which is kind of cool, actually. Uh, You gain a climb speed equal to your speed. Climb as fast as you run. Yeah, I think
1: that was... Similar? Did They they might have changed that slightly.
0: They might have. I know that Ranger, when we get into Ranger, has a similar feature at some point. Also your jump distance. When you take a jump action, you can make a dexterity check instead of a strength check. Easy win for you. Supreme Sneak. You have advantage on every dexterity check you make, provided you aren't wearing medium or heavy armor. And uh, then 10th level is uh, using a magical device. uh, So you've learned how to maximize use of magical items. Uh, and so you can actually attune up to four magic items at once, mm. which you know, if we're going to actually make magic items more useful or prominent in the world, would be great. Uh, yeah, do that. Yeah, because 5e is very magic light for items. You
1: don't It do is, and kind of meh.
0: Yeah. Also, charges. Whenever you use a magic item property that expends charges, you roll a d6, and on a roll of 6, you use the property without expending the charge. There you go. So there's that. You can also use uh, spell scrolls that bear a cantrip or first-level spell. And then on 14th level, you get uh, thieves' reflexes. Thiefs' reflexes. They made sure to make sure it was a thief. Plural. Uh... You can now uh, take a second bonus action on your turn. Provided it is a bonus action from cunning action. Okay. Uh, And uh, you can use this feature. A number of turns equal to your proficiency bonus, you'll gain all expended uses when you finish a long rest. Basically, a lot of stuff to make rogues even rogier in the theater class. (laughs) I'm gonna steal from three different pockets. Three different pockets. See, when I play a rogue, I, I did not play a thief. I played a um a scout. Percy oh, was a I scout. played an assassin. You played an assassin? Assassins are usually considered one of the better one of the best subclasses.
1: Well, I was a multi class assassin and shadow monk. So Got it. Got yeah. it. Yeah. So that's good. I like Shadow
0: Monks. I played one of those. Um, Rembrandt yeah. was a shadow But anyway, Percy was a scout. Scouts are pretty well known for being able to move really fast.
1: <laughs> they mm. they
0: move really fast across the battlefield. And he was a tabaxi. So, between, like, cat agility, <laughs> cat-like agility, and the the scout's abilities to, like, use bonus actions and stuff to keep quickening, he could fly across the battlefield. I think I calculated, like, easily 180 feet in a turn for the one turn. There you go. <laughs> Yeah.
1: But... I mean i could just jump through shadows
0: yes uh, yeah right remy could do that too which is always fun uh but you have to be in shadow that's the key
1: yeah i mean that's fine, fine. The that's o- what you take minor image for
0: fair enough <laughs> the the <laughs> other one is uh, that i played was an inquisitive that was snowball and inquisitives are mostly just there to be even better skill monkeys for investigation what they, they do. They get buffs for, like, uh, you know, perception and, and uh, with insight and stuff like that. Thieves, I don't know. I always found them to be kind of very basic. But I think if you want the most roguish kind of rogue, thieves kind of make sense. Just in general, they're not really changing around a ton when it comes to rogues. It seems pretty similar to what you would have seen in 5e. Uh, Just that they're moving around when you get certain things. Um, And it looks like what they were trying to do with the one D&D material is that at every level, you'll be getting something. uh, Right, that way you don't
1: have empty levels that feel weird.
0: Like, level one, you jump right in with like sneak attacks and thieves can't right away, and then... Cunning action at two and you get your subclass at three and you, you know you get dodge at five you know which is good i think especially for newer players that keeps them engaged because there's always going to be like some new cool skill that you get um and and also the changeover from a focus on ability score increases to feats so that you might get a cool new feat periodically it's
1: gonna be interesting that they're bringing feats back so
0: yeah i mean feats are very powerful the way that they have been presented uh you'll still be able to do ability score increases but the ability score increase is considered a feat so you can you can take it still but then again when you start to see the feats at one point we might go over them you definitely want (laughs) feats like it it seems like feats are definitely the thing you want uh, but yeah, anyway, are you interested in playing a rogue ever again?
1: Probably. It would have to depend on what the campaign is and what my idea for a character would be, so. I've, I've played two. I don't i have know if it's one that I'd want to go
0: back to, only just because I think I like spellcasters now. But, you know, I would, I'd consider it just to see. I, I think I would need more archetypes for them to give me than the thief, though. I I don't don't think I want to play a theme. But anyway, what do all of you think? If you have any ideas about some of the 1D&D material or something specific that you wanted to talk about, please let us know in the comments down below. (music) Alex, it remains spoopy time.
1: Spoopy's very... Spooky, no.
0: yeah, this is Halloween, this is Halloween. Um, so, since this is Halloween, I thought that we would talk about another spooky or Not spooky. And on this episode, I thought we would talk about ghosts. And I'm, ah. not, and I'm not talking about that movie with the pottery. Uh, Why not? Maybe we too, should.
1: Is that too sexy for this, this it's, show? It,
0: it's too sexy and you know it. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, LMFAO references aside, uh, so ghosts, Alex, uh, have you encountered ghosts in games before?
1: Uh, like, tabletop, not as often. Yeah. But in video games, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: The, uh, the thing about ghosts that I think always trips me up is depending on the rule set, you are going to have either a corporeal or an incorporeal ghost. Uh, I've, I've seen plenty of examples where they are literally not tangible, so anything that you try to do in a physical space will not, you know, hit them. So you have to start thinking outside the box for ghosts. The thing that really annoys me, though, is I remember several encounters with ghosts where, and I think this is the scariest part about them, where they are basically invisible, unseen creatures that are trying to threaten you. best example that I have is when you go to the abandoned hotel in uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. When when you go to the, I want to say it's the Oceanside, you go there, and there's no real enemies there, but there is a ghost that haunts this place. And so as you're going through this hotel, doors will suddenly open up, and little trains will, like, start choo-chooing through the doors just randomly. And you'll look in, and the door will, like, slam shut before you can see inside of it. And this is kind of the entire level of just, like, lights randomly going out or books being thrown at your head or something from, from the shadows. And they, there is no enemy to fight. Like, there's no, there's no actual tangible enemy for you to deal with. And I think that that's the scariest part about ghosts, is like the idea that you are unable to fight them
1: in any way. You gotta get way. your, uh, whatever Luigi's got. You gotta get that I don't remember his name. I, if my son were home right now, I would ask him. Yes. It's the VAC pack, uh, twenty th-
0: from Luigi's Mansion. Yeah, yeah, I can't remember what it's called, cause Polter, I, uh,
1: uh, Geister, something like that.
0: You know what the thing is? I actually had never played that game, I never played Luigi's Mansion, I'm sorry to tell you.
1: Poltergust. Poltergust. Yeah, you fight ghosts with that, or you get the uh, the Ghostbusters backpack. But yeah, intangible, incorporeal ghosts, uh, not much you can really do physically. In terms of, like, a lot of games, you can usually affect them with magic. Sure. Yeah. Or in D&D, you can get, like, a ghost touch weapon which could then affect incorporeal creatures
0: so since you brought up d and I actually have stats for D&D 5e ghosts and uh, yeah and this is the thing that I find really interesting in damage resistances and immunities in immunities they're immune to cold necrotic and poison damage which makes sense it does
1: yeah but so you can't poison undead Yeah,
0: you really can't. Uh, And also, it doesn't really make sense that they would deal necrotic damage because that would have to do with flesh, and you can't poison a non-corporeal being. But for bludgeoning, piercing, and slashing damage, they only have resistance. So you can still technically damage them with a dagger. They just would take
1: half damage. I would potentially house rule that if I was putting ghosts in a game like prominently. Yeah. Or if it was a prominent ghost, oh, perhaps sure. it's going to damage immunity to those things unless they're magical sure. or a specific type of item or uh, ghost touch qualities. But if you're in a so, game where you're expecting ghosts, these are things you should probably invest in.
0: Right. I find that the stat block for Ghost is kind of odd, if you really look at it, because, like, their dexterity is not actually very high, which you would think would be kind of strange, because their charisma is the thing that's their highest stat. They have 17 in charisma. Well, you gotta
1: figure, all of their stuff is about spooking you. That's true, so intimidation and stuff is where they get
0: their bonuses yeah
1: they've invested in their social skills they've they
0: they have uh and they are a challenge rating four i didn't know that but apparently that's that's pretty good um ethereal sight so they can see 60 feet into the ethereal plane when they are on the material plane and vice versa and they have incorporeal movement so they can move through other creatures and objects and uh it takes 5 force damage if it ends up its turn inside an object. So, there you go. Put up giant walls, folks. Actually, could I have done that? Ooh, that's a good question. So if our campaign when we are playing, and Max is there, and there's a bunch of ghosts, if I put down my, uh, my growth spurt, or whatever, I can't remember what it's called. I make a giant growth- I put
1: down my growth spurt.
0: I put down- Yes, when I put down plant growth in that 100-foot radius, just sphere, and the ghosts are there, and they can only move 40 feet on a hover. If they keep ending up in my plant
1: growth, do they just keep taking damage? <laughs> I, w- I would say it has to be a more solid object than like, you know, the brambles, brambles stuff, my brambles?: Yeah. Like a tree maybe, sure
0: yeah if oh, I was save like undergrowth, to it, yeah, no, that and they can fly so they could probably figure out a way around this um you know their their attacks are like essentially withering touches their melee attack, which hits hard uh it's like 17 necrotic damage if it hits it's a uh, you know, you don't want to be taking these on, but their armor class is only 11 so oh, it's yeah, pretty easy if to they hit can't them.
1: wear armor, they've got bad decks that's true that's true i just want to make it harder yeah you make them small
0: ghosts oh okay i can make them tiny ghosts yep
1: you (laughs) make them ghost pixies ghost mice let's have ghost mice i want those (laughs) a swarm of ghost mice a swarm of ghost mice yeah and they don't roll to attack they just land in your square and you take like 18 necrotic damage
0: yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Th- that would be great, actually. I'd love to be able to just put, like, a ghost overlay onto, like, swarms of bats and rats. That's called a
1: template, a and template. they used to use
0: them in 3.5 all the time. You know, if they're gonna be doing all these changes with, like, one D&D, it would be good to see, like, more templates make a comeback, because I- I've seen... I've seen, like, some homebrew stuff with it, but uh, I don't think they went in real hard on it with the 5e rules.
1: Um, Yeah, there used to be, like, you could do Celestial and Fiendish as templates, and then, like, Mm -hmm. I had one that was called a Cursed, which was a template, and then uh, Werewolf was a template, for example. Mm. It would be nice, it would be a lot easier to modify certain things, like, to make a Werewolf. Oh, sure. That's not just stat block in the book. It's like yeah. this person is a werewolf. Here are his stats as a werewolf. Um, yeah. Templates, templates are
0: fun. Yeah. I would have also really liked the idea of using that so that you could have other kinds of were animals. So that, like, I could just turn a badger into a were badger. Uh, because, let's face it, a-, a badger seems like a horrible idea to make into a were creature. And I love it. I want it. A lycanthropic. I mean, you badger yeah
1: yeah but anyways anyway ahead.
0: ghosts uh, i think that the thing that uh keeps them from being as spoopy as you might want them to be is that most games because they have to function as games where you can play it and vanquish a foe don't really go hard into the idea of ghosts being an intangible creature that you can't actually damage they have to figure out ways for you to do damage to them and I think that that is really where they get utilized more for, like, horror games that are about evasion uh, than anything else. When, when they're really spooky. For most, like, I th- RPGs, no.
1: Yeah, I think they could be, uh, they could stand to be used in a more, you know, typical spooky ghost kind of way. Instead of just, a, ah, this is a ghost you can kill. Yeah. Like, maybe have some of those in there, but maybe have this one like, powerful ghost that is coming after you, like a Scooby-Doo villain. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And it's just, like, you, you know, know, it's not one you can really deal with, and it's one that, like, terrifies you. Like, give it an effect that will actually terrify your players or whatever. So, like, in D&D, as an example, maybe give it a spell to scare players or, sure. you know, give it advantage on intimidation. Yeah, yeah. Or something along that line, mm. and make it so it ha- it's harder to damage than would be normal for the game. Mm. Maybe you really can't affect it until you find, like, this certain thing that's part of the quest. Right. Right. You know, ghosts have unfinished business, and it doesn't want to go away until you've figured out what this unfinished business is.
0: Exactly.
1: Um, or they're... maybe you've, yeah. Maybe it's gravestone was. Broken, and you need to fix a gravestone.
0: Yeah, I, I'd like it to be like an actual quest, like you're like you're talking about. Like you have you have to actually get the ghost to move on because you have to complete a task or something like that. You know, right. not because if you're going to be dealing with an incorporeal being, you're probably going to have to think outside the box on how to defeat them, and not just go swinging a sword or trying to throw a fireball at them.
1: I yeah. kind of like I. That. Would enjoy if there was the quest for the ghost. Mm. And it was either you figure out how to make it move on. Yeah. Or the other option is there's this ritual or something that could bring it fully into our world so you can vanquish it. Either or give the players the option to pursue whichever path, pursue both paths. Sure. Maybe they can't finish one of the paths, so they have to do option B. Sure. Sure. So, I think something like that, but then have the ghosts, like, either, you know, if they're trying to vanquish it, maybe it's trying to spook them mm-hmm. to get them to go away. Sure. Um, maybe it's not physically able to hurt them, but yeah, it can knock things over on them. Maybe it pushes a statue over that lands and almost kills the party member. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, affecting the world around them, but not physically, like, attacking them. Sure. Yeah.
0: Uh... The, uh, the other things that I saw in the D&D scat stat block, at least, they do have a couple special abilities, which are worth noting. Um, one is the horrifying Visage, which is um, where uh, if they can see a target, um, they can possibly frighten them, and it will actually age you by 1d4 mm-hmm. plus ten, times 10 years. So there's that. Uh, which that can, seems excessive. Well, it can, it can be undone by a greater restoration spell. But... But... Uh, yeah, it, it, I'm thinking, like, they could probably kill you pretty quickly if you're not, like, an elf. Uh, you, might, you might be able to die of old age. And, uh, and then, of course, there's possession as an ability, uh, where you can actually be taken over. Uh, the target gets incapacitated and loses control of their body, and then the ghost controls the body.
1: See, uh, as much as that is a thing ghosts do in a lot of media, players don't typically like having their character being taken control of. Yeah, they don't so like their if ca-
0: you're, player the puppet, yeah.
1: If you're going to use possession, I would suggest using it on an NPC. Yeah. Um, like someone they have to not kill. Yeah. <laughs> Yes, I would like to
0: not be dead. Or, like, I, I, I'd like to see that.
1: Um, or or it yeah. has to be done with a story element where it's not monologues, but uh, if you're going to possess a party member, it should be to deliver a message or to shock and stun them. Okay. Because they're a lot less likely generally to kill another party member in most cases. Sure. Sure. Uh,
0: the uh, one other thing that I'll say on Ghosts before we give spoopy ratings is that uh, there is another part of this, which is when you play the Ghosts. And if you play the Ghosts, you might find that it is equally frustrating <laughs> because there was a game called Ghostmaster once upon a time, Alex. I don't know if you're aware of this, but it I'm vaguely familiar played it. Uh, have it again because it was on Steam sale. Um, some sale. But anyway uh, the idea was that it was like a strategy game and there were people that were in this house and you had to scare them so that they left the house but of course you're playing ghosts that don't actually interact directly with the people so they have to possess different objects and make the objects do things or possess specific rooms and those objects had to have specific qualities to them that equated to the ghosts that you were utilizing. Uh, so, it, yeah. like, some of them would be able to possess food items. Some of them would be able to possess, like, a, a, an, like an animal or a, a hunting object of some kind or an electronic one. Uh, and sure, yeah, I possessed a shotgun. Yeah, you know the thing about it is that there were occasionally like shotguns on the wall and stuff, and you could possess them, but you couldn't actually shoot the shotguns at people. <laughs> so, missed opportunity right there.
1: Yeah. Um, Missed shot.
0: Yeah. Uh, and I have to tell you that the idea of not being able to directly interact with people when you're trying to, you know, get them to to do something, seems equally frustrating as when you're trying to, uh, fight the ghost. So, you know, maybe I can see the ghost's point of view here. (laughs) It's gotta be a really frustrating trip to figure out how to how to scare people when that's like your primary goal in life. Um, so hey, you know what? Um anywho, uh so uh spoopy rating. Uh I'm gonna give uh ghosts um I don't
1: know. I think ghosts are fairly spooky. I
0: think ghosts are fairly spooky.
1: I think if they're done well, they're pretty spooky. I,
0: I think so. I mean I you know, some of some of the worst times, especially like in bloodlines, that was one of my that was that was one of my least settling moments in gaming, and that all revolved around a ghost. I'm gonna say I'm gonna give them like four out of five spoops.
1: I'm gonna give them four out of five spoops. Um, I'm extending ghosts to other spirits that can be incorporeal okay. here as well. Sure. So in that case, like woodland spirits, oh. not fae things that visages that you would see generally undead around cemeteries floating headless horseman style ghost things I'm gonna give them a, a solid 5 yeah if they're done right right cause obviously you can do like well that's just a, a white sheet on a person yes you know and that's, that's like a 1 until you pull the sheet off and it's actually like a horrifying corpse underneath it you did a reverse scooby doo you pull yes. the sheet off, and
0: it's like, oh, no, it's Old Man Jenkins. Oh, no, it's a ghost! <laughs> you,
1: know <what> <laughs> you pull the sheet off, and it's just, like, a bear.
0: Old Man Jenkins was a ghost the whole time! No! <laughs>
1: um, but, yeah, go- ghosts are pretty spooky. Uh, pretty spooky things. I think it's really good when you have, like, a ghost that looks terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, if you can describe that, like maybe it's Jaws half hanging off like the ghosts in Harry Potter, you know? Yes. Yeah. They weren't super spooky because it's Harry Potter, but you know, they looked different. Or Nearly Headless Nick, who had
0: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Nearly Headless yeah. Nick, yeah.
1: No. Yeah, that, that works. So, so I think if you want to make your ghosts spooky and interesting, give them some kind of visage and look to them that is interesting and Off, you know, off-putting, perhaps? Sure, sure. Maybe they look like they're decaying at an advanced rate? Yes, yes. Um,
0: Do not make them look like Casper, because then I'm just gonna want to hang out with Casper. The only scary thing about Casper the Friendly Ghost is the theory that he was actually Richie Rich.
1: I've not heard that one. You but I don't to... want to know.
0: Here's the fun conspiracy theory, Alex. Go and look at the character model for Richie Rich, and then look at the ca- character model for Casper, side to side. Nope. <laughs> nope. Anyway, how spooky do you think ghosts are? If uh, you have an idea, or for those of you playing at home,
1: spooky works too.
0: Spooky works too. Anyway, what out of five? Do you think ghosts fall on that radar? Uh, You can feel free
1: to join us in Discord if you'd like to for that conversation. Or you can share a ghost story from a game you've played, either video or tabletop, if you've got one.
0: Yes. Uh, And, for that matter, uh, I am curious about tabletop games that actually revolve around, like, ghost stories, because I know they're out there, I just am not familiar with many of them. So, if you know them, I'd be interested. Okay, I, I think I've scared myself right out of my own skin, and it's going to make I was going to p- say
1: right out of your pants. Right out of
0: my pants? and yeah,
1: that's another Nightmare Before Christmas reference, so... Yes.
0: Is it about Mr. Oogie Boogie?
1: No, it's Jack Skellington singing.
0: Oh, okay.
1: Haven't seen Insert that movie in a while. Insert clip here. I'll find I'll it I'll find somewhere. it later. Okay. You'll find it. You, you'll find it. No, you find it. You... Okay, uh. My anyway. guy in Kentucky, he's Mr. Unlucky. It's the one where he's in the graveyard after they shoot him down. I think Al- it's, uh. Um, Jack's Lament. Oh, okay. Might be the name of that song. Alex, if they want to find more information about <laughs> <laughs> Total Purple Knockdown, where can they go? You can go to totalpebbledknockdown.com. Also, fun fact the singing voice of Jack Skellington in The Nightmare Before Christmas is Danny Elf.
0: Yes. Yeah, yeah, I know that. I know that. But
1: not the spoken voice of Jack. No, no, it's not.
0: Any You're o- welcome. Any other trivia from Nightmare Before Christmas you'd like to give me?
1: Greg Proops, who was on Whose Line <laughs> is it anyway? Uh, yeah, was the voice of the clown. I think the the clown jester, the two faced, uh, not two faced. The oh, the, okay, yeah. Yep. One of the he was he was a voice in there. Uh,
0: another fun fact uh, Tim Burton directed it, but it did not have Johnny Depp in it <laughs>
1: for reasons. The no one, no no one movie.
0: movie. <laughs> was Helena Bonner Carter in it? Now I have to think I about don't that. No, <laughs> she might have been Sally. Who fucking knows? No, no, no. I don't think so. Uh, now I have to include a clip of who Sally was. Anyway, uh, so yes, feel free to go over to our actual website. Uh, and also, there's a Patreon. Go check that out. Also, we can, <laughs> if you want to find us on social media, I'm at Citanium.
1: I am at Exp Limited, and you can find our uh, podcast over on like Twitter and that shit at Pebble Knockdown. At Pebble Knockdown, uh, feel free to follow us on,
0: uh, rate and review, and I'll subscribe on all the podcasts. Don't apps. post
1: a lot; we're busy.
0: We're busy. You might have noticed that Alex just moved, and uh, I have apparently turned into a sentient pumpkin, so, you know, we've got stuff going on. Anyway, uh, yeah, so that's the show. Uh, all, the, all the Nightmare Before Christmas trivia you could have asked for, that's just a bonus. Uh, and so, until next time, on a very spooky episode of the show, where we will be going over more spooky stuff, uh, we, <laughs> we will see you later. Uh, goodbye for now. Goodbye until pumpkins start sentient again. The Great Pumpkin has arisen. Be afraid. That'd be a fun campaign. I would love a dark remake of of The Great Pumpkin, Charlie Brown. Let's do that. (laughs) Let's make that happen.
1: All right. Yes. One second. One second. I need to break my back in half. I love when you break your back in him. I'm not going to do it on camera, though. No? Uh, I'm back. tried to also break my neck, but, you know. Your neck, your back?
0: My back. My back.
1: And also still my back. Your
0: three-headed hydra and your and you're crack. Well, please let us know?
1: Yes. Uh, no, I just... Oh, okay. Making finger gestures. <laughs> making finger gestures. <laughs>